the boards in front of the 200. Dr. Grayson, Sedestin are challenging and better loosen up on the extreme outside. Sedestin and Benedict have come away. They're fighting it out. Better loosen up on the extreme outside is roaring clear and better loosen up wins the Sedgen Ho. Sedestin second. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Pride's Easy Feed. The advent of the English millennium five years ago gave Sydney another important stepping stone to the Golden Slipper. Inglis and the ACT got together to formulate a $2 million race for horses sold as yearlings at Inglis auctions. The first millennium was run at Warwick Farm over 1,200 metres and produced the most impressive winner to date. Castel Vecchio came from last, blew the opposition away to win for Richard Litt and Joss Parr. In 2020, Again at Warwick Farm, it was Prime Star, the winner for Tom Marquand, Richard and Michael Friedman on a heavy nine track. The millennium was switched to Randwick in 2021 when the flying profiteer led all the way to win easily with Hugh Bowman in the saddle. In 2022, Extravagant Star with Chad Schofield became the first filly to win the race for the Price Kent team. It was another filly last year when the Nisham trained learning to fly did a Castle Vecchio by storming home from near last. It was millennium number two for Chad Schofield. The sixth edition of the English millennium will be run at Randwick on February the 10th, supported by the Group 3 Eskimo Prince and the listed Lonro Plate. Nathan Doyle was only six or seven years old when he proudly presented his uncle with a drawing that could have been a pointer to his likely future. The centrepiece was a horse surrounded by several other horses, palominos, skewballs, all kinds of horses. His fascination with the animal is every bit as intense today as it was almost 30 years ago. On leaving school, he became an apprentice boilermaker, and by the time he gained his certificate, his focus on horses had shifted to thoroughbreds. Nobody was surprised when he acquired a licence to train at age 21. He started off with three nondescript horses, which he raced with mates, and by his own admission, he knew next to nothing about training them. Nevertheless, he was able to win a narrow mine maiden in 2012 with a mare called Stop the Flow, who was fortunate to have the services of Greg Ryan. He also won a number of races with a gelding called Kiliad, learning a little bit more as he went along. He was 24 when he landed a foreman's role at Randwick with Peter and Paul Snowden, from whom he gained valuable tuition for more than three years. Next stop was a rewarding two-year stint managing Mark Newnham's Warwick Farm stables. Suddenly, he felt the time was right to fly solo. He and partner Melina Gissing acquired boxes at Scone and started out with a handful of horses. First day at the races in 2018, Nathan's first starter won. His only other runner that day ran second, beaten a nose and almost certainly should have won. 18 months later, he and Melina made the move to Newcastle with 12 horses and that's where we find him today. Nathan Doyle, lovely to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Johnny. Well, Nathan, that team of 12 is now stretched to about 45. Is that your preferred number? 
Yeah, it has grown quite quickly. Um, 45 in work and roughly 90 on the book. So probably have to pinch myself for how fast it has grown and to where we're at now. Um, it hasn't been easy. It's a lot of hard work. Um, grew up in sort of racing and around without sort of family or friends that sort of had a background in it too much. So we sort of started from the, the bottom up with no family or no background name throughout the industry, which makes it a little bit tougher um, because sometimes in this game it's not what you know, it's who you know as well. But I think from starting at the bottom of like that has probably made us better for it and um, the hard work and uh, the, re- the reward you now get from it, um, you can't beat that sort of feeling. The move from Scone to Newcastle was necessitated by a shortage of stabling. I think he had mixed feelings at the time, but looking back now, it's the best thing that could have happened. Yeah, 100%. Even when we looked at making the move from Scone to Newcastle, everyone said, oh, well, you haven't got horses fast enough. Why are you going down there? But as one of those things, yeah, we just had to make that move. We are off course in Scone and was a lot of double handling. We are travelling horses to the race course every morning in float to work and then home. It was quite long and arduous days and um, was always – one of those people that um, never want to sit on my laurels. If you don't try, you never know. And mm. um, it was the best decision we've ever made. And I ran a couple of clients and uh, Matthew Sandblom and Charles Kelly that had been with us from the start and give us some of those country horses to sort of get moving. And they said, oh, we're going to have to send you some better horses then. So they were supportive from the start, which made uh, the option a lot easier. Mm. As we record this podcast, you're in 10th place on the New South Wales Trainers Ladder. You must be pleased with that. Yeah, it is very pleasing, especially when we only got the 45 in work. It's it's sort of hard to compete or for premierships or be up there. You not, normally need about that 100 in work and uh, keep rolling them over, but... Um, it's working at the moment. Hopefully we'll be able to get more stables in the future. I think to be competitive and sort of sustain it, you probably need around that 60 to 17 work, 17 work, and that would be a comfortable number that I'd be able to manage nicely. But for the time being, that's all the boxes that we've got here at the moment and we've just got to deal with what we've got. Last season you finished with 57 winners on the state premiership and I think it was exactly the same number the season before that. So with seven months to go in the current season, you're right on track to post your best figures yet. Yeah, it's definitely definitely going well. And but the main thing we sort of try to to sort of do is be more prominent in the metropolitan area. Uh, I think previously a lot, a lot of those winners would have been at the country and provincials, but uh, we're getting that better quality of stock now. And we feel probably the next 12 to 18 months is... Um, when we're probably going to get even sort of go that next level again, we've got a lot of a lot of nice young horses in the stable which we never used to have. We always used mm. to get second hand stock, and I was more or less try your best see what you can do with this. But we're getting some young horses from the start. We can take through the system right, and um, we feel they're coming along nicely, and we look forward to the future. I mentioned the horse drawing in the introduction. 
the one you created for your uncle many years ago. I wonder if it still exists. I think it's still floating about. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I just grew up loving the animal, loving the horse. Um, Pop worked at Kelvin side uh, for Hilton Cove. Um, mm. My great-grandpop had a, had a dairy farm with a couple of horses on it and just a family of uncles, dad, loved the punt, loved going to the races and uh, that's all I wanted to do was train racehorses and it was never like be a jockey, which most people probably grow up wanting to be or something mm. like that. I just always wanted to train racehorses and um, ended up on that path and mm. I chased it quite hard. It wasn't easy, <laughs> um, but uh, the reward's there at the end for sure. Apart from your maternal grandfather who once worked on a stud farm, there wasn't a trace of racing background in the family, although it's interesting to note that your dad's best mate was a trainer, a bloke called Neville Boyle. Yeah, so we used to always poke around at the stables there at Musterbrook as well from a young age, and um, Pop was loved his racing, didn't matter if it was greyhounds, thoroughbreds, and um, Nan still had the photo when Pop was leading Kingston Town around its game. So <laughs> it was in our, it was in our, our blood from sort of being around the horses, but mm. for someone that was actually in the industry um, from the training side of things, no, there wasn't a background there mm. at all. And I don't really know where it come from for me wanting to train, but mm. um, it was just very young age as something I wanted to do. And I'm glad I've gone down that path. Mm, so Neville Boyle was really your first tutor? Yeah, he was. He only had a small string and worked there at Musterbrook and every Saturday morning I wanted to be out in the stables and um, it was one of those things growing up that I didn't like the cartoons and mm. always wanted to watch the races. So, yeah, um, yeah it's an enjoyable sport and, I think you need to be really invested. It takes a lot of time and effort um, to get the results, but um, we've had great support along the way and you need a supportive partner as well and having Mel there, it's in the industry, I think it really helps. You have one sibling, a younger sister, Hayley, who's not hands-on with the horses, but you tell me she helps out with the administration of the business. Yeah, she didn't grow up loving the horses as much as me, but and uh, yeah, she's got a little bit of that bug in her and loves watching the races and is involved heavily in the stable as well. So it's a bit of a family affair at the moment behind the scenes, which is good also. I think your decision to do an apprenticeship as a boiler maker was largely to appease mum and dad. He wanted you to have something to fall back on. That's the expression parents used in those days. You've got to have something to fall back on, son. So I assume they didn't really want you to work with horses. No, it's probably something you'd like to see changed in this industry as well. They didn't sort of see a future in the racing game. Um, And you sort of grow up going through schools, you you made to do woodwork, sewing, metalwork, but... There's not even a pathway into the racing industry through schools, um, which is one of the biggest industries in in Australia, which is a little bit disappointing that way. And um, to change that little bit of an image that there is a future in racing, Mm. um, I'd like to see changed uh, because there is a lot of young, talented people out there that really enjoy horses, but 
I suppose if the people are growing up and their parents don't see a future mm. in racing, they are pushed down other paths. But I believe there is, and hopefully we can sort of change that in the future. Now, Nathan, young people today wonder what the hell a boiler maker is. Boiler making is a trade which probably gained prominence in the age of steamships and steam locomotives. But today it applies to any kind of fabrication with steel or iron. You don't need to be a boiler maker to get up a full head of steam. Horse training can do that too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, no, well, we grew up in Musselbrook, so you had the mines around there. As either go in the mines, be a electrician, boiler maker, or or fitter, and I ended up a boiler maker, but mm. I didn't last there real long. <laughs> <laughs> has it been of any use at all in the following years? It has been if you need to repair something around the stables or. Mm. We'll fix something up like that, but it's definitely, definitely something I, would, I don't want to go down that track again. I think might have, might have made me more driven to make it as a trainer. Yeah, good on you, and you're going mm. fabulously well. Now, Nathan, you tell me you were rather surprised how easily you were able to gain a trainer's licence. Don't think that had happened today. No, not at all. I, I used to be able to get them in a cornflakes box, but... These days, all the rigmaroles you've got to go through, which, which is positive as well. And same as what I said with there was no sort of background or way into racing or parents didn't see it as a future. And we're starting to change things that way. We get qualifications at TAFE and these, all these courses you can go through. And, um, and it's actually good to see because the racing probably needed a backbone and a bit more support and show that we are training people upright and doing the right thing by the horses and mm. everything that has got everyone that has got their hands on a horse is actually knowing what they're doing. So I think it's starting to go down the right path and um, hopefully we can sort of see that change a little bit more in the future as well and be able to get some of these qualifications through schools and actually put through as electives as well. Mm. Well, you have to start from the bottom rank. How did you find the mayor who would launch your career? Stop the flow. Where did she come from? Uh, she was just a horse I, I leased off a mate. And well, when you're starting 21, you're raw, you've no idea, no background. You pretty well have to support yourself. And mm. uh, we just leased her, and I pretty well had no idea what I was doing, but I was pretty eager to, to learn and um, be around horses. and. We were able to win our first race with her, so I'll never mm. forget her for that. No, well, you found the right race for her and you found the right jockey, a narrow-mind maiden with the remarkable Greg Ryan who was worth three or four lengths. Definitely. I still remember the day. I think she was in the market and the other two in the market missed a kick and she led all the way over 800 and um, it was a day I'll never forget. You were 24 when a desire to learn brought you to Sydney to become a foreman for Peter and Paul Snowden, who were training probably between 120 and 130 horses spread across five barns at Randwick. Now, you were responsible for a team of 26. What was your actual role? Our role down there was more day-to-day -day running on the stables as well of a morning, yeah. 
had to get all the horses worked and make sure they pull up well, do all the right things by the horses. And there are big systems in place down there, so those trainers always need good people around them. And just the day-to-day running of the stable um, sort of sent us down that path. I, I was 24. Like I said, I always wanted to achieve in this game and mm. I believe to be the best you need to learn off the best, um, mm. the tried and true works. And they're good at their job for a reason. They know what they're doing. And even working for good trainers, you don't have to – ask questions, you can watch and learn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, you're not a bloke to be peppering people with questions, are you? You'd rather look and listen. Exactly, and you can probably learn more that way. Mm. And um, Pete used to do his worksheets of a night and you get the worksheets of a morning and you can go back through and see when they are winning races, what they are doing with horses into runs and things like that and just the way they, they manage a horse and um, it's just invaluable lessons that you take with you today and you'll always take you with you, even the bottom line of how they fed a horse. Uh, you got to fuel them right and I believe Peter and Paul are, are great feeders of horses. They always look big, strong, happy, content and it's just simple little things like that you pick up along the way and mm. uh, you put your own spin on your things eventually but yeah. that base at the bottom, um, you can't beat that. Well, in three and a half years with Team Snowden, you saw some exquisite horse flesh come through the system. Do you have a few favourites? Yeah, I was there at a, a very good era. Um, Russian Revolution would have to be the favourite. He's he seen come through the system and before he even had a barrier trial, he just had something can be at him and he had that awe and a will to want to be a racehorse and when he, when he walked, he was walking and he was going somewhere. So mm. you get an early indication uh, that they're, they're pretty good. They know they're pretty good. And, mm. But we had Kaplis, Dredzel. So I was in a pretty good spot to be able to learn off some good horses as well. So they taught yeah. you a lot as well by just being around those horses. Yeah. You know, when Capitalist was beaten in the Todman, his golden slipper stocks plummeted with many people, but not Peter. You closely watched how he handled that situation. Yeah, I, I even remember that to the day. Pete got, uh, well, the horse got beaten at Todman. Mm. Everyone was up in the air saying he can't win the slipper. And it didn't worry Pete whatsoever. He's like, he needed that run. <laughs> he needed that run to top him off for the slipper. Mm. And it wasn't a gut buster. Uh, it wasn't a tough run. So it was going to peak him on slipper day and, Pete was the only one that probably didn't lose confidence in the horse and thought he could still win the slipper and mm. he went on to do so. He sure did. He didn't win again in two more starts but uh, his name was up in lights and off he went to stud and he's been a, a great success capitalist. Yeah, definitely. And I think it probably one of the biggest things I did learn off Peter and Paul is they were so good at getting a horse to peak on the right day. Mm. If it didn't... If it got beat a couple of starts prior, they didn't panic because they knew when they had their grand finals. And yeah. with those good horses, you need them to peak on the right day. There's no use mm. having them peak a couple of runs prior and sort of be flattened to their grand final. And they were just masters at it. Yeah, Bart Cummings, of course, uh, became famous for that very thing. 
Yeah, and it, and it is very hard to do, and you need to manage your horses right, and you need to have your eye over them, know where they're at, and it is an art. It's one of those things. It's very hard to train, and mm. I would have never have known how to sort of go about those things or slowly work a horse through a preparation to get it to peak and know when it's ready unless I went down there. So, and it was one of those things, you, like I said, you just watch and learn and watch how they did things and it was unreal to be able to see. Mm. You joined the Mark Newnham team at around the time he acquired his stables at Randwick. So you virtually managed his Warwick Farm operation where he gave you a fair bit of independence, didn't he? Yes, it was great, actually. He put a, a lot of responsibility on you because you had the Randwick and Warwick Farm stable, so he was only there half the time um, because he couldn't get all the boxes in one place and he did put a lot of responsibility on you and mm. and it sort of made you a better person as well. It made you sort of step up and make these right decisions. Um, if you got runners, you had to trot them up the morning of the run. It was all on you to make these decisions. Are the horses right? Have mm. they eaten? Have they changed any idiosyncrasies into a run? And it made me sort of grow as a person as well. And mm. even being with Peter and Paul for sort of three years, um, to sort of go to that next level and have that more of a responsibility, it actually taught you a lot more as a person and about the horse as well. So I'm glad I went to both trainers, uh, both different styles of training all together, mm. um, but both very effective. Mm. Well, here's Mark Newnham now, of course, a contract trainer in Hong Kong, which is something he always wanted to do. From humble beginnings, Nathan, I can recall Mark Newnham kicking off at Warwick Farm with a handful of horses, might have only been two or three. Yeah, exactly right, and probably helped us going out on our own as well. You can see Mark sort of build it from the ground up, and even Mark said to me, when he first went out on his own, he had a profile and they knew he was sort of the backbone of the Waterhouse stable, but he said until he actually got results and mm. trained winners, no one really wanted to send him a horse. And until you put the results on the board, people don't want to back you. they always got that doubt. And yep. Mark was always so driven as well. Like he, he, he loved it and he lived and breathed the racing and um, to seeing him go from having those four or five horses himself, just a few mm. clients that wanted to support him to make it to where he is today. Um, I think it sort of helped us build from the ground up as well because, mm. like I said, we didn't have a real background in racing. We didn't have a name in racing, which you didn't have that support from the, the start and you sort of had to work up these relationships and get the support and mm. – um, it's, it's a lot harder, I can tell you that, but the reward at the end is probably a lot more. Mm. Which horses were there during your time? Was Shadow Hero on the team? Shadow Hero was there. He was coming through. Um, Lanciato, he was probably the horse that got Mark going, um, his first stakes winner and mm. things like that. And But you can see Mark, because he was sort of building from the ground up, he... You got a lot of second-hand horses that no one wanted or they were going bad and he tried to had to improve them and you see the things that he done to improve them. You know, I actually shook my head there one day. We watched a horse gallop and um, it went terrible. Mm. And he said, uh, he said, watch it or win at Kembla. 
<laughs> and yeah. it come out and won it. He had the ability to get slow horses that had no ability to win races on just pure fitness and toughness, which he probably needed to do at the time because you weren't getting horses with the ability that good horses train themselves. You had to get the best out of these horses that had little ability, which he built it from the ground up that way, and that's how he made himself. Mm. Nikita Jane would have been there in your time, who did win a Group 1. She broke down much too soon to Mark's devastation. Yeah, she is a, she is a lovely filly and very raw, probably wasn't that natural early on. It took a bit to sort of educate her up and teach her to be a racehorse, but once the penny dropped, um, she had one hell of a motor. She was built more like a colt and... And to be able to get his first Group 1 winner with her pretty early on and with the Arrowfield supporting him, mm. um, I think that really springboarded Mark on um, to be competitive at that Metropolitans, but just at stakes level he was just so consistent afterwards. Mm. Nathan, I'll get you to stand by for a moment while we clear a commitment on the podcast. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you about another top-class filly with whom you became associated during your time at Royal Randwick. Back with Nathan Doyle after this. A message for trainers of thoroughbred, standard bred and performance horses. Pride's Easy Feed would like you to know a little more about a new product called Energy Pack, a top-up feed designed to replace cracked or flaked corn in a horse's diet. Energy Pack comes in small cubes of extruded corn and full-fat soybean and is six times more digestible than raw corn. Energy Pack isn't a complete feed. You simply use it to top up your horse's normal ration. Energy Pack will help you to stay ahead in the war against acidosis. Energy Pack comes in 20-kilo bags and is a palatable con concentrated source of energy. Speaking of acidosis, Pride's also recommends Easy Light, a great tasting electrolyte. Its glucose and fruit flavoring is just the ticket for those fussy eaters. For best results, feed Easy Light as part of your horse's balanced ration. Replace those lost salts and keep your horses on their water through the long hot summer. Pride's Easy Light and Pride's Energy Pack, a winning double from Pride's Easy Feed. Masters in the field of equine nutrition. Our special guest is Nathan Doyle. There was one other supreme highlight during your time at Randwick. You met a lovely young lady by the name of Melina Gissing, who was working for the Gay Waterhouse Stable. And not surprisingly, Nathan, she was unable to resist your earthy country charm. Yeah, I don't know about that, <laughs> but it, it worked out for the best anyway. So we've been together nearly seven or eight years now. So uh, we're a team. She's a backbone and stable as well. She's there every day and um, she's also had a good grounding too. She spent a long time with the Waterhouse and Bot Stable and before that she was with Bart Cummings as well. So mm. her input to the stable is very big to be able to get nice results as well. And she was riding work, you tell me, for... Uh, the Waterhouse Stable at the time. Does she still do that? She did at the time, yes. Um, she still rides work here now. Um, mm. Can't get her to give riding away. She loves it too much. So mm. um, she loves to get the feel of the horse as well. So the things like that, um, good feedback and um, she's driven just as hard as 
as me to be wanting to be able to get those results. And I think you need to have a good team around you to get results in this industry. It's it's hard to do by yourself, especially working from the ground up. And mm. uh, we've got some nice results and hopefully the future looks bright for us. Mm. Well, when you and Mel kicked off in your own right, I noticed she actually owned a horse called Del Chusey. And that was the horse to kickstart your second training career. She was a maiden mare, Del Chusey. How did you find her? I think we bought her online as a tried horse for $12,000. Oh. Um, when we first went out on our own, we had three horses we owned ourselves. Um, just went on English Digital and bought three horses and thought, we're going to have a crack ourselves. And I left Sydney on good terms. I never took a client, never spoke to sort of clients that way. And sort of mm. we went out to prove ourselves that we could train a horse and get horses to win races. And if people wanted to send horses to us afterwards, the flow and effect to be that way. So that's how that sort of come about. And so lucky enough, our first runner was a winner and we had a lot of success early on. Mm. training, which you probably need to do. And like Mark said to me when he first went out on his own, no one wanted to send him a horse until he actually proved it or proved that he could train horses. And it was the same with us. We went out on our own. Um, we'd been four-minute stables in Sydney for a long time. But until we trained winners or got results, um, we weren't getting horses sent to us. So mm. it's all been made from the ground up that way. Your placement of horses has always been astute. You decided to take two horses to a Dubbo meeting in November of 2018. Del Chusey led in a maiden and held on to win narrowly. A few anxious moments there. And then your second runner was Postmaster General, who contested a 1,000-metre benchmark race and got right back to last before storming home to fail by a nose, only needed to be a length closer in the run to make it a double. Yeah, it would have been a fairy tale start, but mm. it was also uh, Kobe was on our runners as well, become good mates with Kobe in Sydney. And mm. He wanted to come out and ride our first runners and um, our first runner won. There was actually a few tears there because <laughs> there was a bit of a build-up there of emotion because mm. – I always spoke to Kobe how I wanted to go out on my own and wanted to make it myself and to be able to sort of do it together at our first ever runner, um, it was a great feeling. Mm. Well, we're talking about Kobe Jennings who came all the way to Dubbo to ride those two horses. He's been one of your go-to jockeys ever since you started. He's a very, very good rider. What a pity he's not three or four kilos lighter. 100%. He, he's got a great seat on a horse. He's got beautiful hands and they just seem to run for him and he does have his battles with weight, but if they do get weight, I'm happy, more than happy to put him on because he does get good results for us. Mm. Well, he got his uh, day in the sun, didn't he, when he rode Colette for Godolphin to win the Golden Eagle. Uh, I think the second running of the Golden Eagle on a bog track. He beat a good mare too that day, Ice Bath. Yeah, it's a, it's a game of opportunities. If you get the opportunities, you can definitely um, take them with his both hands. He, he's a very good rider that way. And mm. um, once he did get that opportunity, um, you can see the ride he put in. It was mm. a 10 out of 10 in, 
in those conditions about getting horses to travel and mm. um, it was great to see him get up and he deserved every bit of it. An old horse landed in your stable in 2019 by the name of Petrology. Early in his career, he'd won five races for Hayes and Dabenig, including a Sandown Guinness. You got him as an eight-year-old. You gave him a couple of runs, then you turned him out, and four months later you started him in your hometown cup at Musselbrook with Ashley Morgan up. He came from nowhere to win. Yeah, it was a big win that day. It was actually something you get a profile log of that horse at a very young age or early on into your training career. He sort of meant everything to us, that horse, and I um, still remember it to this day as well that winning your home down cup is probably something you dream of as a kid because I always dreamt of wanting to train horses and it was during COVID time and there was no crowds that had on course and I remember standing at the 100 metre mark and he screamed to the front there and yeah. you turn around trying grab someone or cuddle someone and cheer and there's no one there. So yeah. it was a bit of a funny situation mm. um, You put just by yourself. So um, it was a different cup to win, but uh, it'll be always on the mantle, please, that you did win your hometown cup and mm. just no crowds there to help enjoy it with you. No, he didn't win again in five runs, but his job was done. He gave you a magic moment in winning the Musselbrook Cup. Let me jump ahead a bit here, Nathan, to the horse you rate as potentially the best you've trained. And I'm talking about Straub, a daughter of Fastnet Rock, who'd won a maiden at Coffs Harbour for Stirling Osland before turning up in a broodmare sale, where she was purchased by Matthew Sandblom for his Kingstar Farm broodmare band. She failed to go in foal and Matthew asked you to give her another try. But she came with a bit of baggage, didn't she? She came with a lot of baggage, but um, she was a horse that can definitely gallop. I remember even giving her a first gallop here at home, and um, she absolutely just smoked in the gallop. And I remember I, I hardly touched the stairs going, but down from the grandstand, mm. back down the sea, and I thought... Have they sent us the right horse here? I mean, you go back through a form, even mm. when I got home, she'd won a Coffs Harbour Maiden on a bog track. It was 5,000 the winner. Mm. She had a start before that. Um, she'd been beaten a long way in a Newcastle Maiden and I couldn't believe what I was actually seeing in track work. And I actually said to Matthew when we are going to her first start, she was $18 and a benchmark 58 and we didn't think she could get beaten. Next minute, the gate's open. She's missed a start before. And mm. oh, I thought, oh, no, we, we're no way up here. And then she chimed in at the 400 like they just just began and she just picked them up and won before. So it was a massive win. Yeah. And yeah. we never seen the best of that horse. But to this day, even working with those good horses in Sydney, mm. she's up to the best of them. Was she really? Yeah. Yeah, mm. she had a few stress fractures and things along the way that – that held her back, but, yeah, gee, she had a motor. That's interesting to hear. Her name was Straub. Did John Singleton breed her? He did breed her, mm. and um, she's now in fold of Russian Revolution, so mm. Straub was my favourite horse, and so was Russian Revolution, so and what be yelling, we, we have to buy. <laughs> yeah. Well, now to a very talented mare called Norwegian Bliss. 
who won her first seven straight under your tutelage. Seven straight. That is hard to do. She was a four-year-old when Jerry Harvey sent her to you. Why so late? She had issues as a younger horse as well. She had a stress fracture in her knee and things like that. She'd been to a few trainers and um, Luke McDonald, good mates with, uh, manages Jerry's horses and said, you buy one off us, I'll send you one. And mm. she was the horse, first horse to get off the truck that we were able to train for Jerry and um, she'd done a terrific job. It's, it's hard to win two straight anywhere than to go on and win seven straight and Oh, yeah. These stakes placed at eight start. Um, she is a very talented mare, but she had issues as well, and that's the kind of horses we've got when we're starting out where you weren't getting them nice, mm. well-bred yearlings. You were getting horses with issues and um, a few dark areas in their background, but mm. uh, she was a good horse to us as well. Tell me about the day she won her maiden at Port Macquarie with Ashley Morgan in the saddle. You couldn't believe the price they put up. Yeah, well, it was a bit of a funny story there. We had her accepted at Scone uh, two weeks prior and I said, look, this horse goes pretty good and the prices went up and she went from 550 in a 250 oh. without Luke or anyone being on. So yeah. what do you want to do? You want to scratch? And he goes, yeah, scratch her. So we put her, put her in at Port Macquarie and they put up the same price, 550 and Mm. The boys got on, so we said we'll run, and um, she ended up starting a dollar forty and yeah. and won easy. So yeah. she's shown us a lot of talent as well from day dot. But to go from that Port Macquarie maiden to sort of Group Two level in without being unbeaten, um, yeah. it was a great job that she'd done, and awesome. not by an, a fashionable sire, and it was out of a mare that hadn't produced a, a good horse. So mm. it was not like there was much there and in the background to say that she was going to be that good, but mm. she is very good. Her seventh straight win was on Melbourne Cup Day 2022 when she won a benchmark 84 at Randwick, and that prompted you to take her to Melbourne, where she ran second in a Group 3 with Blake Shin in the saddle. Every chance that day? She did have every chance, Um but Blake said she probably just didn't get on the right leg around the corner. Um, she just sometimes horses at Caulfield just get unbalanced. They get around the valley better than they get around Caulfield at their first start. And she just took a while to balance up. And she was always strong through the line, but the probably winner just skipped when she was a bit unbalanced on that corner. But mm. she did, still did a terrific job. And there was sort of pressure off when she got beat as well. But um, she ended up going on and having a few little bleeds that yeah. probably held her back eventually. Um, but um, she's in foal now to I'm Invincible and I'm sure she'll do a job at start. I am Invincible out of Norwegian Bliss. That's a foal that will command great attention at the Magic Million sale but would look even better in your Newcastle stable. Wouldn't she want, but <laughs> she might be a horse or won't be able to afford Oh, yeah, I am invincible out of a mare who won seven straight. Darla Lat has been a good horse for the stable. He'd won a maiden at Wagga for Hayes and Dabenig before coming to you. And uh, you've won six with him since, uh, two Saturday midways for a big bunch of owners, including the voice of Sydney Racing, Darren Flindell. 
Yeah, a good group of guys in here. Similar, he's an online tried horse purchase for 40000 I think he's actually won five races in the, in the city now. Very hard to do with the benchmark system. And mm. 400000 for the guys. So if you get a few more in the stable like him, um, you'd love a stable full of them, actually. That'd be mm. ideal. But he's done a great job and he's been another good advertisement stable. And, um, he's lovely horse to deal with. And, um, good group of owners. They've had a good ride. I um, admire Darren's ability to remain composed when he's calling Dalalat in races. I'll tell you what, race callers who have an interest in a horse they're actually calling are under a bit of pressure. Uh, I had a sample of that many years ago with a horse called Bruego. It ain't easy. Yeah, it would be a tough job, but um, he, he probably puts a little bit more effort into it when he is closing in late. But I don't know what he thinks when the horse is out the back. But um, I think Darren's probably dabbled in a bit of horse ownership. But uh, like I said, to get a thrill winning five in town on a Saturday and be able to call him um, is really enjoyable for him as well. He doesn't mind a little flutter either. And I don't think Darla Latter's ever won without him. Uh, but there have been many slings from Darren, so I don't know where they got, must have got lost in the post or something. <laughs> According to my records, you're getting up around 15 midways. I, I think there are six Saturday Metro midways on your record, but now we have the provincial version or the provincial editions. Uh, you're really sneaking up the ladder. Yeah, it's a good opportunity for us to be able to sort of take horses through those grades, those horses you probably normally flick to Brisbane. You're able to put that through that midway system and a lot of the time they're able to sort of come out of that midway system and go on and win Saturday City races and it's been good for us to sort of get our name down there a little bit more and uh, we're sort of starting to venture out of the midways a bit and be very competitive in those open Saturday races as well. So over the next 12 to 18 months, we've sort of been going down there with two and three on a Saturday that we'll be able to sort of go down there with a truckload and be a lot more competitive across the board and across the program. But uh, things are going well and we look forward to the next 12 to 18 months with our stable. Other than Dalalat, your other Saturday Metro winners have been a Wealth of Knowledge, Super Bright and just recently... Crips tonight, just before Christmas. He's by Spirit of Boom. And I notice he had his first nine runs in Queensland where he won a couple. You've had some fun with him. Yeah, good group of owners as well. Um, Pilko, which manages Seymour Bloodstocks in that horse, and he sent him down particularly for that sort of midway system. He felt he'd be up to that grade, and uh, he'd done a good job his first preparation for us, went three of his seven and um, I was able to win a midway. So I feel he's a horse that will probably aim up in that Saturday off-season races and we just give him a break and we look forward to getting him back in over that winter period. Well, you've got a very handy mare in the stable who's not far off the trials by the name of Overriding, a daughter of Star Turn. She's won four from nine so far, including one at Randwick. Now, this is the filly... You were telling me you purchased at a Magic Million sale in Adelaide. Yeah, this is a filly that uh, Luke McDonald said to me, if you buy one off me, I'll send you one. And it was actually quite funny that 
uh, Norwegian Bliss was the first horse he sent me then after I bought her and um, I laugh about it now. I said that us Norwegian Bliss had three starts. Well, if this filly's useless, she's already done our job through our stable and mm. she turned out to be pretty good herself and um, similar to Norwegian, there wasn't much on the pedigree page and in the dam side, there wasn't anything there. There was no city winners or whatnot and um, she's gone on to win in the city and hopefully this preparation she might be able to jag a little bit of black-type mare's race. And she's getting close to the trials. Yeah, she's three to four weeks. I've been ready to head to the trials again, so I'm forward to her preparation. Overriding. We'll be keeping an eye on her. Cafe Royale. Nathan was a great money spinner for you and for Matthew Sandblom. Eight wins, three in the city. She's by Schnitzel, and I would have imagined she'd be uh, one of the Kingstar Farm broodmares, but you tell me that's not the case. No, they've sold uh, last year at the broodmare sales in Folter Cutlass for 800000 so very good result there, but she come to us with a few issues as well, and um, the aim was just to win a maiden with her and job would be done, and she'd be a valuable broodmare with the pedigree she had, and um, to go on and win eight races and Mistakes placed, um, I sort of had to pinch myself, sort of our first stakes runner and stakes placing. So mm. she was a great mare to me as well and um, you'd have a few more like her, it'd be great. We've got to talk about Rush Hour, who gave you a monster thrill last year by winning the debut on the Gold Coast worth half a million for a big bunch of owners. Yeah, it was, a, it was a great day at the Gold Coast. Um, I remember the race nearly being called off and delayed and I think it was delayed about an hour and we eventually got the race run and won and um, it was a good result um, to get a two-year-old winner, especially you buy him at that sale and hope to be back there in 12 months' time and, and to win a big prize money race like that. Um, it was a race I'll never forget and um, it gives you that Eagerness to want to do it more often, to get that thrill and to be racing on those big days. That's what we're in it for and that's the aim and hopefully in the future uh, a bit more often. Five weeks later, he failed in the Skyline Stakes at Randwick and you pulled the pin immediately. Was there a problem? Yeah, he pulled up a little bit of a stress fracture. So um, there was probably reasons behind his disappointment that day, but... He's back in the stable now. He's trialled up well and hopefully we can take him through his grade. He's only won a maiden so far, so he's got a lot left to come. Um, but he was also a good horse to us and he's only very lightly raced and hopefully we can get him back to his best. The winners have been coming at regular intervals just lately, Nathan. You've had a lovely little run. Sovereign Dane, Deep Romance, The Extreme Cats won a couple, Ambassadors won, Hell of a Nature won. Uh, the strike rate has been very healthy. Yeah, it's one thing you need to probably know as a horse trainer is know your horse's ability and what grade they are at. And the aim of the game is to win races and put money in the bank for your clients. And you, to do that, you need to position your horses in the right races and know their level. And it doesn't matter if you've got to travel around or wait for that right race. Um, that's what you need to do with these horses to be able to get the results. And winners seem to be flowing nicely and... Hopefully we can just keep doing the right thing by the owners and get nice results in the future. I believe you don't sleep a lot and I read somewhere Mel says it's common for you to be awake 
at ridiculous hours thinking about a problem you might have with a horse. Yeah, I definitely live and breathe the game, that's for sure. Um, you need to be invested. It's it's a way of life. It's it's not a job. And um, so many one percenters can go right with the horses. You've got to always be thinking and getting the right results with the horses. And I think, I believe if you're not really invested in the game, you won't be successful. You see it with Peter and Mark, the way they went about things. They, they lived and breathed it. They wanted to be successful and um, hopefully we can sort of chase down their path. We've got a long way to go yet, but you always continue to strive to be better at what you do. Allow me to share something Brian Mayfield-Smith told me many years ago when he was training 100 horses for Sangster, La Pointe and Millie Fox. He said you might as well get some sleep because the problem that's keeping you awake will still be there in the morning. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right, but yeah. uh, I don't know if that helps at all, but you're always thinking, you always got to be thinking on your feet with with horses. As mm. They say that the day you reckon you know everything about a racehorse is the day you give it away. So yeah. you always continue to learn and you always got to be moving with the times and people say computers what they were like back in the day. Um, it's the same about what we learn about a horse. We learn more about the way things can be done better and you can see that these days with, I suppose, a, a lot of young trainers coming through the system getting nice results and it's just about moving with the times and learning more about the horse on the job. Well, you had a dream at age six to spend your life with horses and you made it happen. You're now 35 and you've become a very good horse trainer and the best days lie ahead. Great to have you on the podcast. Nathan, a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me, Johnny. Pleasure. The advent of the English millennium five years ago gave Sydney another important stepping stone to the Golden Slipper. Inglis and the ACT got together to formulate a $2 million race for horses sold as yearlings at Inglis auctions. The first millennium was run at Warwick Farm over 1,200 metres and produced the most impressive winner to date. Castel Vecchio came from last, blew the opposition away to win for Richard Litt and Joss Parr. In 2020, Again at Warwick Farm, it was Prime Star, the winner for Tom Marquand, Richard and Michael Friedman on a heavy nine track. The millennium was switched to Randwick in 2021 when the flying profiteer led all the way to win easily with Hugh Bowman in the saddle. In 2022, Extravagant Star with Chad Schofield became the first filly to win the race for the Price Kent team. It was another filly last year when the Nisham trained learning to fly did a Castle Vector by storming home from near last. It was millennium number two for Chad Schofield. The sixth edition of the English Millennium will be run at Randwick on February the 10th, supported by the Group 3 Eskimo Prince and the listed Lonro Plate.